At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Welcome back, HVAC peeps. So here's, here's the thing. Humidity control is one of the pillars of indoor air quality. If we don't control humidity, if, if it's too high, obviously, we have an issue. If it's too low, we have an issue. I think it's easier to implement humidity uh, adding strategies, you know what I mean? Just to add humidity into a space than it is to dehumidify properly. So on this podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to talk to John Stischok from Armstrong Fluid Technologies. He spent a lot of time in the Florida area working with engineers and, and whatnot in that space, in, in the realm of dehumidification. So we're going to have a really good conversation around dehumidification and strategies to help deal with humid climates, humid buildings, stuff like that, to remove that moisture and make it comfortable and make that building healthy. Stay tuned, guys. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by the Master Group, and one of the lines they carry that a lot of people don't know about is the Coleman line. Coleman ACs, furnaces, and heat pumps. Now, it's quality stuff. I've installed a bunch of it since I went out on my own in, in May, and I haven't received any callbacks on the stuff I put in. I know some friends that have gone out on their own recently and also install the Coleman brand. All right, so if you're looking for something to, to sink your teeth into that's a little bit different than, than what your competitors are selling, uh, check out the Coleman stuff from Master Group. Check out master.ca. This podcast is sponsored by Cintas. They're a supplier of blue-collar uniforms for the blue-collar trades. Now, when I say, I've, I've mentioned this before, when I went and picked uniforms way back when for McCready HVAC, I wanted the real blue collar feel, so I picked like a navy blue collar shirt to have that blue collar feel to keep to that blue collar theme. Cintas has a bunch of uniforms that comply, I guess it can be a word, comply to to that sort of thought, right? Blue collar. So if you're looking for uniforms for your team, check out Cintas. Many, many solutions, you just gotta pick one, and run with it. Check out Cintas.com forward slash HVAC Know It All. Welcome to the HVAC Know It All podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, John, we're on, man. This is uh, this is going to be a cool conversation. Uh, dehumidification, I guess you could consider that cool, right? I mean, <laughs> cool in in a in a in a roundabout dad joke way. Uh, so, how you doing, man? Doing great. How are you doing tonight, sir? I am. I'm doing fabulous. I uh, got home actually not too long ago. Ate dinner, jumped in a quick shower, and now we're here. Um, talking more HVAC like we normally do on this podcast and we're going to talk dehumidification and you were in a, you were in Florida and you, and, and this is part of what, what you've done in, in your past and your professional life. 
So it's going to be a cool conversation because dehumidification is one of those things that a lot of people just can't get right. I mean, do you agree with that? That you, you see a lot of technicians out there, a lot of companies, they just can't get the dehumidification portion right. It definitely is more challenging, um, especially mm-hmm. in temperate climates. You know, I came from a hot, humid climate, but we had a lot of off-season time there too, where you don't really have enough cooling load to really make the HVAC system run as much. And then you're not pulling the moisture out. And if you don't account for that, especially as buildings get more high performance and you have less solar load and less uh, building envelope heat gains, you're going to end up having more struggles with that HVAC system uh, to dehumidify, especially on off-peak days. Mm-hmm. I see. So you threw out a name. His name was Andy, but I can't recall the last name. And, and you did something um, with Ashray with Andy on, yeah, on dehumidification. So- you want to explain that? Yeah, so Andy Osk um, is kind of a, a leader in the industry when it comes to dehumidification. Um, he worked with um, Ultra Air for a little while, which is a dehumidification manufacturer for small residential dehumidifiers. Mm-hmm. Now part of you know Santa Fe, so they do some larger stuff as well. And he kind of pioneered some different techniques for hooking those uh, dehumidifiers up. One was basically hooking it uh, parallel to the supply airstream, so you'd pull out of the supply duct run it through the humidifier and put it back into the supply ducts, you're delivering, you know, close to saturated 55, 56 degree air to the humidifier. So all of its work is put into removing moisture because you're not trying to get that air mm-hmm. down to the saturation point. Mm-hmm. Um, but him being one of the industry leaders, I got to work with him and, and learn a lot from him. So that's kind of where my expertise and background came from. He's also, you know, an ASHRAE fellow. So, but, um, you know, when we were looking at, dehumidification strategies, you know, the main goal is to achieve a low relative humidity when you need to dry out the building or, you know, maintain a comfortable indoor environment. So usually around that 75, 50% RH is the goal. Um, You can go up to 60% and not really affect comfort too much. But if you go much above that, you have the chance of, you know, getting into microbial growth, especially if you get over 70%. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're really trying to avoid. Um, the strategies we used in hot, humid climates, um, is sealing up the building is one of the the main ones, um, that I think gets overlooked. So if you have a humidity issue, there's a lot of times, you know, they'll blame the HVAC system and that may not be the case. You know, we all look at the, at the HVAC equipment because that's the obvious, that's why it's humid. That's the climate control. It's not controlling the climate inside the building. Not necessarily, you know, it can come be coming from. Poor building sealing can become from windows, coming from leaks, especially if you do like a spray foam attic and you don't seal that attic completely in retrofit applications, you can get moisture trapped in there and there's no way for that moisture to get out then. And then you're putting all that extra load on the HVAC. Um, and really we're talking about, you know, how do you dry out a space and relative humidity is kind of related to the drying potential of the air. How much, you know, water can the air hold before it becomes saturated? So you can raise the temperature. Um, If you raise temperature 100 degrees, you know, you can reduce the relative humidity and increase the amount of water the air can hold, even though you're not removing the total moisture in the air. Um, That's one of the things that you can do. This podcast is is really geared towards uh, technicians. Well, it's mostly technicians and stuff that are in the field listening to this. So there's a couple of strategies that people have discussed and stuff. When it comes to 
dehumidification of the air or or keeping the humidity levels at at bay anyway. Mm-hmm. And one of them is with with if if you're in a, a humid climate and, and you're running your HVAC, you're running your fan of the HVAC system in the on position so it's running continuously, mm-hmm. right? And then your AC now shuts off, but your coil is still wet. Your fan that's still running continuously is actually going to evaporate that 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 water that's still on the coil and put it back into that building. What do you think about that scenario? There's there's actually been some case studies, and I can't recall the exact case study that was done, but I think it was done by the Florida Solar Energy Center, where they actually ran that study and found that you're going to end up re-evaporating most of that water back off that coil, and you're not going to dehumidify hardly at all uh, in in certain situations. So, you know, 75 to 80 percent of the the unit's dehumidification capability is going to be just completely wiped out by re-evaporating that moisture. So definitely need to keep the fan running in auto if you're trying to reduce your indoor relative humidity levels, reduce the moisture levels in the building. That's that's Mm -hmm. critical. Um, I know sometimes, you know, especially in commercial buildings, you'll have engineers that specify to run the fan in the on position because you're trying to, you know, maintain ventilation. And if you have, you know, systems that have, you know, hot gas reheat coils or they have means to handle that additional moisture load, that can that can work, but on a standard rooftop unit that doesn't have any extra dehumidification capability, it's really going to hurt the building. Um, it's one of the first things that we do if we need to try to solve a humidity problem in a commercial building or residence is make sure that fan is in auto, not in the on position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other thing is we've talked about this a lot, and I have, I have educated myself on this with, with other people that are experts, but also educated myself on this by actually going through the steps and doing load calculations on a building or a home, I should mm-hmm. say. And, and I've done a few of them and it was drastically, uh, the equipment was drastically oversized in, 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 in every single case and drastically oversized equipment. And, and st- there's some people that, that can't wrap their brain around it. So I want to get your perspective on it and, drastically oversized equipment will run it will heat or cool too fast like sensibly Mm -hmm. it will um short cycle which is not good for the equipment the air won't mix properly um because it's not running for a long period like a long drawn out period the air is not going to mix and you're going to be left with cold warm spots in a room because you're on off on off on off rather than a long drawn out period of runtime where it's actually doing it slower but eventually you get to the same point what do you think about properly sized equipment and the and what it does to your dehumidification in in the building or home when it comes to carrying around parts having a universal part dedicated universal part lineup really is is key because you can't carry unless you specifically deal with one specific type of equipment one brand and you can have all those parts in your truck then Yes, that's fine. But if you if you work on many different types of furnaces, rooftops, all that kind of stuff, universal parts is really um, where it's at. And, and what I'm getting with this is White Rogers. Emerson White Rogers has their AllSpark. Their AllSpark is a ignition control that takes the place of over a thousand ignition controls out there on the market. They also have the White Rogers Connect app where you can auto set your control for whatever the existing or defective part number is 
on the controller that you're replacing. So very cool stuff. Check out the AllSpark by Emerson White Rogers. We're talking about condensate neutralization and it's code in a lot of places and a lot of people use it for septic. So I don't have a septic system, but what a lot of people are, are saying about septic systems is that there's sort of like a natural bacteria in a septic system and acidic condensate can actually eat away at that and cause your septic system not to work properly. So anyone that has a septic should be using condensate neutralization if you have a high efficiency heating appliance in the home and it's draining out to your septic. So just something to think about. And we're, we're bringing all this this education forth in partner with JJM Alkaline Technologies. They've been providing me with some educational tips and, and advice so I can relay that information off to you guys. So check out JJM Alkaline Technologies for more information. So NAVAC on the horizon has a battery powered tubing bender, part of their Break Free series. And the Break Free series is their, their battery powered tools. They're coming out with badass tools like their their tubing expander their their flare their flare gun all battery powered now they're coming up with a tubing bender it's supposed to be hitting the market sometime uh in the new year so look for some demos and and some information on that coming forward last but not least rapid locking system they are there as an alternative to brazing when you can't braze or choose not to braze a lot of buildings are going flame free flame free how do you get around that well Rapid locking system is an alternative to brazing. Get get educated up. Get, I would say, get some info on the product. Reach out to some people that have used it and get their feedback on it because the feedback I get from everybody else and the feedback I, I, I see for myself physically is, is positive stuff. So rapid locking system, your alternative to brazing. That's definitely, you know, a critical aspect. If you're oversized on the equipment, you know, you don't get the runtime, the, the water doesn't get the chance to really come off the coil. You get condensation on the coil, the unit shuts back down, and you don't really continue to pull that moisture out and continue to get airflow across that across that cold coil. Um, and then, you know, when you first start up, a lot of these systems kick the fan on initially before they kick the compressor on. And that's kind of like a built-in, you know, sequence. So you have a built-in sequence where it lets the fan run for an additional minute or two after the compressor kicks off to try to get that little bit of free cooling and all you're doing is re-evaporating moisture back into the air. So you need that runtime and even slightly undersized equipment will dehumidify much, much better because you're just going to continue to run, continue to pull moisture off the coil um, than, than something that's slightly oversized. Yeah. And you were touch you're talking about reheat now on, on the average rooftop unit on the average uh, unit at, at home, uh, you don't have reheat. Now, I've been lucky enough to be involved in a lot of units that that have reheat, either on a makeup air that is got a cooling coil. It's very thick because it's like a one pass. You gotta you gotta get rid of a lot of moisture in one pass. Then the air is reheated back up. I've also been involved in 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 pharmaceutical warehouses where they wanted to keep it uh, below. It was like. 57 or 58 percent RH. So they utilize rooftops that had reheat coils in them, hot gas reheat coils in them. And these things basically just ran all day and just mm -hmm. ran in it with the cooling running. Uh, and, and the way they would reheat 
is they would have a three-way valve. They would take the the hot gas from the compressor, bypass the condenser totally, and then bring all that hot gas to the reheat. So after it move after the air would move through the evaporator, the moisture would would be kind of soaked into the evaporator, drain off obviously, and then we would reheat the air back up. And the reason we do this, and I want you to touch on this too, is because if you don't have that reheat coil, all you're going to do is overcool that space um, or or get to set point really, really quick, right? right. And you, you've lost all form of dehumidification once your unit shuts off. So if we reheat the air back up uh, to, I don't know, almost room temperature, then we're not going to drop the temperature of the space and we're going to continue to remove moisture. And these P-traps, man, on these rooftops, they were just gushing, gushing, oh, gushing, yeah. like mean, just constantly. Constantly. So, I mean, let, let me get your take on on the whole reheat scenario. So, the the whole reason you need reheat is when you're using that air conditioner to try to pull moisture out. It's going to do, you know, about seventy five percent of its work is sensible, and you know, twenty five percent is latent on a standard system. Um, so, if there's no sensible heat to pull out of the air, you'll start overcooling it, and the colder that air gets, the less capacity it has to hold moisture. And if we're fighting relative humidity not necessarily absolute moisture in the air the, the colder you get it the less moisture you can hold the higher the relative humidity becomes inside so if you start trying mm-hmm. to cool to dehumidify you know a lot of thermostats have options to set it cool over cool three degrees to try to dehumidify you'll end up getting stuck where you're running three degrees colder than what the client really wants all the time and you're at 60 percent plus rh because now it's 68 degrees or 72 degrees instead of being close to the set point, 75 or 74. Um, and so that reheat is there, so you don't overcool, but you can still run the main AC compressor to pull moisture out. And it's not really a new concept. Um, Willis Carrier actually quoted this in his book back in 1940, um, Modern Air Conditioning. It's, you know, there's, in temperate climates, you end up with, conditions where the sensible load inside the building is canceled out by the weather conditions outside, but your internal uh, latent loads and infiltration still remain. And the only remedy is to use reheat. Now, you know, obviously with the code changes and being more energy efficient, you don't want to use electric reheat. You don't want to just throw energy at it to solve the problem. You want to try to do it in the most energy efficient way possible. Hot gas reheat has been one strategy that's worked very well in the past. Um, that's becoming even more of a contentious point now where people don't want to use that um, reheat if you need cooling in the building elsewhere. They want to make sure we're running cooling when we're in cooling and only reheating when absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, the, the first time, the first time I, I found out, I was a young technician on a call on like a Saturday or Sunday it was the middle of the summer and it was super, super humid. And the first time I found out or, or was educated on the fact that cold air holds less moisture than warm air was, was a server room. Uh, and these things are supposed to be usually, they're, they're usually sealed up pretty, pretty well, vapor barriers and stuff when they're built. This one wasn't sealed up very well. And somebody had cranked the temperature down to like 64 or 63 in the room. And I was there for a high humidity alarm, right? Mm-hmm. So I get there, the room's cool, but it's it's beeping high humidity. And I call my boss, I'm like, 
well, the room's cool. There's a high humidity alarm in here. And he's like, what's the temperature in there? And I said, it's like 63. He's like, put it to 70 and that problem should go away. So I put it to 70, let the temperature come up in the room and the RH fell, fell, right? Yep. And F- fell off because the warm air can hold more moisture. Right. And that's also a co- concept that a lot of people um, sometimes don't grasp. But I, my old boss i don't know where he got my old owner or the company i used to work for i don't know where he got this idea uh but it, it's a good visual for a for a tech that that is is looking to um maybe wrap their head around this mm-hmm. he brought in like three cups right he brought in like three cups and i'm just trying to recall how he did this i think the small cup was uh yeah the big the big glass was was like half full Okay. At like 95 that, degrees or something is, is what yeah, the that, that, to. Yeah the, yeah. The, yeah, the big glass represented um, warm warm air, something like yep. that, 95 degrees or whatever. So then he'd pour the big glass into the, the medium glass, which is now like 65, let's say, for instance. Mm-hmm. And and now the, the going from half, half the moisture to like a full cup of moisture, and then we drop down again to like 32 degrees, let's say, with and the same amount of moisture is poured into the 32 degree glass, and now it's overflowing because the cold air, it can't hold it, and the moisture starts condensating out of the air. As you would see in the wintertime, you can see exhaust, uh, the condensate coming out of exhaust, coming out of stacks of factories and stuff like that, because the cold air just can't, it can't hold it, so it starts yeah. to condensate out. So it was it was a cool little experiment that he did in the boardroom, and it's it's good and it's a good analogy to how as air gets colder, the air molecules are closer together, it's more dense, and there just isn't as much room for moisture to occupy or water vapor to occupy the space in the air mixture, and so if there's no more space for water vapor, it has to con you know condense out and fall out of the suspension. Um, mm-hmm. and the same thing happens like in if you have a an air compressor while you build up air you know water in the bottom of an air compressor you're making that air more dense even though the compression cycle heats it but you're cr- creating a denser column of air and basically wringing the water out because the air is more dense it can't hold the same amount of water at that pressure or at a colder temperature there's another analogy for it okay so let's talk about some some ways we can mitigate moisture in a home if you don't have reheat like i I guess you could get a dedicated dehumidification system um you could get a modulating heat pump type system where you can modulate down to uh um like a a low compressor speed where it's going to run longer right and and not cool the air as fast there's 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 different ways i guess to, to do this can you talk about some of the ways and what are the best ways to, if we really want to capture as much moisture we can within a building envelope, what do you think is, is the best way to do it? When you're looking at, you know, especially like residential type equipment, um, two stage or variable speed is a really good solution if it has pretty good controls built into it. And, and all the manufacturers do a, a pretty good job at this point uh, where they'll slow the fan speed down with the compressor and drop the discharge air temperature a little bit when it's in dehumidification mode and really pull moisture out of the air effectively by trying to get that coil a little bit colder and lowering the air airflow to match the load in the space to keep that unit running and continuously pull out more moisture um, than if it was cycling. Um, that's really one of the, the easiest cells because it doesn't require you to add another piece of equipment. It's not another maintenance point. It's just 
a slightly better piece of equipment than the standard single speed stuff that a lot of us are used to. Um, one of the other things you can do is like you did mention is add like a 70 pint dehumidifier, but if you remember a 70 pint dehumidifier is only equal to about a one ton air conditioner moisture removal capability. So, you know, your three ton air conditioner standard home is going to be three times more capable of removing moisture when it runs than a 70 pint dehumidifier. That's the challenge though. If there's no load, you know, what do you do to get that, that unit to run um, without adding external heat? And you kind of come back to a dedicated humidifier is a great way if, if the client in the space, you know, is, is available, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let, let me just touch on this for a minute. So mm-hmm. Tony, everybody, everybody that listens to this podcast has, has heard Tony first, uh, who was your colleague and he's been on the podcast, I don't know, eight times or something like that. And and he's s- such a great guest because he's so knowledgeable. And, and you work, just so the audience knows who you yeah. are and what you do, like you work under Tony and and we we had a, a, a conference call and, and Tony said something to me that, that really fit what Armstrong is trying to do. And he said that Armstrong wants to be known as a systems company, not just a pump company but a, a, a full out systems company. And this conversation, I mean, tells true to that because I mean, when, when we're talking about, we've, we've talked about pumps and hydronics and stuff with Tony and other people from Armstrong, but we're having this whole completely different conversation. And it, it's about a part of a system that doesn't even involve hydronics. <laughs> well, it can't, I guess it can, if you're using a chiller and you're trying right, to cool right. with a hydronic cooling coil and stuff like that. But I mean, g- give me your take on the whole, where, where I'm going with this is systems are not just one thing or the other. Their systems are built with many, many pieces and many, many considerations that have to be taken into account in order for that to run properly. Like your fans got to run. And we're going to be talking to one of your colleagues in, in a few weeks about air um, and, and pumps and how they differ and how they are compared to each other and, and how they actually are similar in a way because they both move mediums around to exchange heat. Now, g- give me your take on the whole systems thing and not just one part, but systems as a whole. I mean, you know, predominantly we are, you know, interested in the water side as Armstrong as a company, but the water side has to work with the air side to be able to transfer heat and remove moisture and satisfy the needs of the building. And, you know, my, from my past experience with a HVAC design firm and working there designing, you know, high-rise condominium HVAC systems, you know, we worked with the pumps, we worked with the air side, and we had to integrate those two in order to you know, achieve the goals of the building. Uh, did a lot of water source heat pump jobs. So, you know, that's how I got to know Tony was, was, was through using Armstrong products on those jobs. And, uh, you know, it, it all has to, to play together to get a working building at the end of the day. And that's what every, everyone's goal is. So for, for Armstrong to really integrate um, the whole system approach, um, you know, we have, you know, controls that, that work with chillers and plant optimization. And, and we really are trying to be a um, solution company for, for HVAC products. Um, mm-hmm. And we have people on staff that are very knowledgeable about other, other sides of the other products. Um, you know, fans, for example, you'll hear someone talking about that shortly that, that came from 
uh, that side of the industry that's you know very knowledgeable on on airside fans fan movement um i have a great background in dehumidification coming from a hot humid climate and working with you know engineers in that climate um that are, that are my colleagues and friends so that's kind of where we came from and, and why we want to try to get more information out there and, and help everybody out and you know share the information that we have mm-hmm. yeah and like you you worked with um you worked with Andy there, who's now with Santa Fe, and you mentioned like building building science, mm-hmm. or at least I think you at least yeah. I think you did in, in in a conversation we we've had. I don't know if it was <laughs> this one or not. <laughs> no. all, all all my days melt into one yeah. these these days, John. the The building science thing is something that a lot of uh, people within the industry now are starting to kind of hone in on. They want to learn more about it. They want to teach people about it. And obviously there's been experts in building science for a very long time, but until I'd say the last couple of years, I haven't really heard of anybody deep diving into it. And now I started to deep, I think it was like late last year around this time, I started to really want to learn more about it, like load calcs, blower door testing, all this kind of stuff. It it just piqued my interest. And, and as now I go on service calls and stuff like that, I'm starting to notice things. I went into one lady's house last week and she's like, my house doesn't heat very well, or it, it does, but it costs $400 a month to heat, to heat my house. And I started to look around and, and she had a a crawl space under her house and, and I look, look underneath and it's, it's unconditioned. The, the ductwork looks a mess. It looks like it's leaking. It's, it's uninsulated. And I said, well, I think you should start with, with that. I said, your ducts are leaky. They're uninsulated in, in a, in a crawl space that's untreated or unconditioned. Right. And I'm like, this is probably your, your problem. I mean, if it was me, this would be expensive. And I don't think this lady can afford this because she's a single mom and she looked like she was already, struggling financially from the way she was speaking to me but she'd have to really insulate that that crawl space well seal it up um, seal the ductwork either from the inside like some of the products they have on the market now from the inside or seal it from the outside with with mastic and then insulate the duct and then i guarantee you it would improve um, her heating bill but what is the payback on that who knows um Right. So the whole building science thing has allowed me to think in these different ways when, when I get into a customer's home that's having a lot of these problems. But at the end of the day, they need the money to fix it. And if they don't have the money to fix it, they're just going to keep dealing with the problems. So the, the build, the whole building science thing, like, give me your thoughts on, on this. So it, you know, I think some people have an aversion or they, they, they think it's, you know, way more complex than, than really what it is. But you know the the guys out in the field they they have a really good understanding of the systems and how it interacts with the home and when you start looking you know we we call it building science and it's really you know more about looking at the whole home or the whole building and starting to understand some of the relationships between building envelope and you know your glazing and how well the building is sealed and what that's doing to the HVAC system. So, you know, if you have a home that, oh, we just replaced all of our windows 
you know, to, to triple pane and they're sealed up and they're amazing. And we, you know, but now my air conditioning system doesn't work right now. It's, it's, you know, why is it humid in my house now? I never had a problem in the summer before. I just put in better windows. Well, you just took all the solar load off the, not all of it, but a, a large portion of the solar load you used to have. So now you have an oversized HVAC system, yeah. you know, or, oh, I got my attic spray foam. That's going to be so much better and more efficient. Well, if they've done it right and they've really sealed up that attic, it's going to be much better. But if they didn't and they have holes in there, now that isonine is going to trap that moisture in the attic and it, it can't breathe like it used to, but you have a hole that's letting this moisture in. So really at the building science is just looking at the big picture of it and starting to like understand and, and make correlations between changes in the building envelope and how they're affecting thermal comfort inside the building. So it's, it's, it's not something that anyone should be afraid of. They should just dive into it and try to learn as much as they can. And, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with, you know, residential contractors and, and, and light commercial contractors and, and go be their building scientist. Um, and I got those opportunities because I, I knew people like Andy who helped teach me those things. And I've got to meet uh, Joe Steebrook. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his work or, or seen one of his I've, lectures, I've... but. I've, I've heard about him for, from a few different people now. Yeah, yeah. That, that he is he is an amazing lecturer, um, extremely knowledgeable, excellent building scientist uh, to learn from. Um, and he's actually published a book with uh, Lou Harriman that I have on my desk here, just because I wanted to, to mention it, um, through ASHRAE. And it's a guide for buildings in hot and humid climates. And it's it's a great, great resource. Um, and I'm, I'm you know, not promoting ASHRAE necessarily, but they are, a, you know, some of the the best resources you have is, 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 you know, reaching out to, you know, the information that's out there in, in, in your ASHRAE, you know, fundamentals book and, and, and other things that are available, um, at least in the industry. I mean, if, if you don't have one, I'm sure one of the engineers that you know, or, or one of the contractors, you know, has one rolling around their office that you can, you know, grab right. and, and, and look into if you really want to start digging into to building science and, and psychometrics and yeah, deep diving for, for, yeah, for sure. And and anybody that's in a humid climate, I mean, sealing up the envelope, yeah, for sure, is, is going to really help. And then a properly sized HVAC system, properly sized air conditioning system mm-hmm. is, is the second step to that. And then if if it's still an issue, maybe a, a separate unit that helps to dehumidify yep. during during maybe the off cycle when the AC shuts off mm-hmm. when that sensible cooling actually hits that, that, that point, would, would those be three kind of rule of thumb steps is, is to deal with like envelope proper sizing. And then if we, we can't get rid of all the humidity at that point, then we utilize some sort of standalone dehumidification. You think those are the three kind of rule of thumb steps maybe to follow? Yeah, that, that is a really good process to follow and you know make sure that your you know indoor temperatures are set reasonably they're not trying to get to 68 degrees on cooling you know i mean that's gonna in the middle of summer i mean that's gonna be Mm -hmm. a challenge for the system because the cooler can only get so cold before it freezes you know so your your txv is gonna throttle that system back to keep the coil from freezing and you're you're just not gonna get you know to a cold enough leaving air temperature to really be effective because it's only reheating to 68 you're not going to be at 50 percent humidity you'll be at 60 percent humidity um but but those are definitely the the core strategies is you know if you're trying to dry something out you can always add heat to the situation to raise the the temperature 
so the air can accept more moisture. Um, make sure your building envelope is sealed. That's, that's probably num the number one issue I've seen is building envelope issues causing moisture issues um, more so than actual equipment issues. You know, if make sure the equipment's right size. Like I said, if they upgrade windows and upgrade insulation, now your equipment may be too large. Um, and that's, let, let me stop you there because mm -hmm. I, I thought popped in my head. And that's where these blower door tests are super important because you do a blower door test before, like, let's say you're thinking about doing upgrades to the building mm -hmm. envelope, do a blower door test, find out what parts of the envelope are causing you grief, mm -hmm. fix, fix those parts and then do the blower door test again. Right. And then you go about sizing your equipment after the second one is done, after you've fixed the building envelope issues, right? Especially if you have that luxury of the blower door test, because now you can put in exact, well, reasonably accurate infiltration numbers before where you would be guessing. So, you know, yeah. most load software, I've used WriteSoft before um, mm -hmm. for loads and, and Elite and a couple other ones, but most of them give you a, an infiltration category. And on a typical building, we're guessing. Yeah. Um, I've definitely made the assumption for too much infiltration and, and overpressurized a building with outside air before as well, which, you know, when they really seal that building envelope up, it, it's possible on a commercial building to do that, um, which I found out the hard way. <laughs> but, um, you know, with, with the blower door test, that's, that's a hard, uh, hard, hard to beat when it's, when it's done right. You can really narrow that down and then kind of attack what's going to be most beneficial uh, to the owner to get sealed up and then go from there yeah just make sure you shut your uh i heard nate you know you know who nate adams is so so nate, nate nate adams is a big big uh proponent of of um building science and and he's been on my what? podcast I, I'm and he, he goes he, to me, he, he goes he goes by um nate the house whisperer you, you might have you might have heard that that, but that i've heard he okay yeah he was talking about a blower door test because uh, I was listening to a podcast mm -hmm. with, with him and, and Bill Spawn <laughs> that he had sent me and said, listen to this, where he forgot to shut his boiler off and, and the house oh, was, no. was under a negative under a negative and he yeah. went down and he saw the, the, the flame shooting out sideways out of the boiler. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it just make sure that all your all your stuff that can be affected by a negative pressure is is shut down or sealed or whatever. But yeah. any anyway, um John, this is this has been great. This conversation's been awesome, and we're gonna keep digging and deep diving into into building science and and everything that pertains to to this throughout the course of of time, really, because this is this is just ongoing. So, I, I appreciate your time tonight, and and uh, it was great talking to you. Definitely, I've enjoyed the conversation. I'm glad glad to be on, and thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Have a good night. You too. Appreciate it. So let's kind of recap and thank you, John, once again for hopping on, but let's recap some of the things we talked about here. Sealing up the building envelope, properly sized equipment, keeping your fan on auto in places where you have high humidity, right? Load calcs to make sure that the equipment's sized properly so it's not oversized and we actually have long run times that dehumidify the space. And we talked about dedicated dehumidification solutions that have reheat involved as well so there's many different aspects to this this was um 
maybe a refresher for some of you. Maybe this was the first step to deep diving into dehumidification. But regardless, we had the conversation. It was good. It was educational. And I learned, and I hope you did too, guys. But that's it. I'm out. Thank you to the Master Group once again. Happy HVAC. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.